Before we start going to tell someone else it's them, we might want to look at who's following us and realize we all are a leader of somebody. It may just be our dog, but we have control. And so be the leader you expect from others and allow others the chance to discover that themselves. Welcome to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast, where founders and business leaders talk about how they built a company culture that is so incredible, their employees brag about it. Our show aims to inspire you as you build a Bragworthy culture of your own. Culture building is philosophical and practical, and you'll find both discussed here. Grab a pen and a notebook. We're about to drop some knowledge. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us. Here's your host, Jordan Peace. Welcome back to Bragworthy Culture. This is your host, Jordan Peace. Today, we're excited and fortunate to be sitting down with Arnie Malham. Arnie is currently the founder and president of Better Book Club. We're going to talk about a little bit even more of his background today. But first, let me just say, Arnie, thanks so much for being here. Hey, thank you, Jordan. Man, this is awesome. Get to hang out, answer, hear from uh, you, talk to you, learn what you've got to share. I want to share a few things. We'll have fun on, on this journey. Yeah, absolutely. I got my pen and paper ready to take notes. I was sharing with Arnie before we got started with the recording that this has just been such a great opportunity for me to learn and apply that learning to my own company. So if you don't do a podcast, I'd highly recommend starting one and selfishly interviewing people on what you want to learn. <laughs> it is a great way to get educated. So Arnie, let's talk about you first, then we'll get into Better Book Club, which I'm excited to talk about too. But you have not been doing this forever. You've done quite a few things. If you look at your LinkedIn profile, you have to click the uh, see more button to kind of get all of it. So love to hear kind of the highlights of how you got kind of out of school, started with your career, and then how you landed where you are now in this project that you're obviously very excited about. I love that measure of success. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that was a compliment if it wasn't clear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. For 20 years, ran a business that essentially a marketing agency for law firms, which for 10 years, it was a pretty much standard solopreneur, right? Tried to see how many people I could surround myself so that I could do the things I knew how to do. Right. And then EO, entrepreneur organization and books I read began transforming me into an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. which was instead of me doing what I do best, get people who do it better than me and then build a company around that talent. And then that's so that journey, it took me 20 years to figure it out, but it was a, you know, 10 years of absolutely doing it one way, which is not always wrong. Right. And then the next 10 years, figuring out how to do it the right way. Again, the EO and then the books I read, the speakers I saw, everyone played a hand in that journey. That's awesome. So obviously reading is a passion of yours. It's something that's caused a lot of transformation and change in your life. And I don't want to speak for you, but I know that that is some of, if not all of the motivation around building Better Book Club. But maybe talk about, you mentioned before we started recording that Better Book Club is essentially coming from an exercise that you all did with your previous company that you've now sold. And it was part of how kind of how your learning and development strategy worked with that company. And then you went and turned it into its own product, which is just a perfect way to go about building something because you already know it's useful in the world. 
Yeah, sometimes you're a little biased towards the things we create, but right now I'm having fun with it, so it's working. Yeah. It's working out great. So, so many entrepreneurs out there, we discover reading, and at some point, whether it's early in your career, late in your career, a book changes your life, and you mm. start moving in a different direction. And and I got so much for reading, like many entrepreneurs, I wanted that gift for others in my company. So I did what everyone does. I'd read a book and I'd love it and I'd go buy 20 copies and I'd pass them out and I'd tell everyone to read them. No one wanted to read the books I read, nor do they want to read the books you read. Your last book is not their next book, but we all think it is. And so right. that, you know, I attempted what everyone's just the biggest myth in business is that everyone wants to read what you want to read. It's not true. Right. So we had to change it because we were in the situation where I needed my team to grow. Mm. I needed them to learn, but I had to find a way to do it. Better Book Club was that answer. And Better Book Club is simply a platform that allows me to recognize and reward reading in my company. doesn't matter what they read as long as it makes them a better human, a better spouse, a better parent, better with their finances, have better, less anxiety, be, be healthier, much less marketing strategy, hiring management, all the things that we think of in sort of traditionally right. in learning and growing. And so we decided we're not going to tell them what to read. We're just going to reward them and recognize them when they do. And lo and behold, we start to form a habit. We start to recognize them. We start to reward them. We start to do it publicly in the company. The application keeps up with it all. And we got more books and brains than we ever got the old fashioned way. So that became, we just called it a better book club. And when I, again, as you mentioned, when I sold the companies, I pulled this out and now we offer the platform globally to all companies right. to allow them to recognize and reward their readers, get more books and brains, and most importantly, stop telling people what to read, just recognizing them when they do. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it makes perfect sense. We've been rewarding people for going to the gym or for taking a certain amount of steps or whatever the case may be for a long time in the wellness space. Why? I mean, how much... I don't want to say more, but it's also quite important that we exercise our brains, that we learn and we grow and we change, we develop ourselves, especially in light of all the mental health crisis that's been happening. I mean, to really keep our brains active and not just lost in the television, I think, is of utmost importance. So it makes all the sense in the world. Since you've transitioned out of this being kind of your own internal strategy within your organization and now offering it to the world, what has necessarily changed about the offering? What did you have to sort of fill out, so to speak, to make it a real product offering and something yeah. that folks would pay for? Well, three things mainly. One is we had to make rewarding easy. So we used to be that we would, people would record that they would complete a small report. We would approve the report and then we'd go to accounting and accounting would find a way to get it into their paycheck. Now it's all automated. The report's approved, a gift card, they get a gift card via email, poof, it's done. So it feeds up the reward, which helps the product work even better. We gamified it. We now have, you can earn badges and you get rewarded within the platform for following yeah. other people and following books and reading more. And then lastly, we stream all the activity to Slack and to Teams, which allows cool. companies to just plug right in and not have to open a different app to see what's going on, but to feed yeah. that information. So when you see that everyone around you is reading and being rewarded, we tend to jump on the bandwagon and do a little more. Yeah. So those are just three things. The truth is with any software application SaaS sort of product, it's an improvement a day if you can make them because it, it, the world's always changing. Absolutely. Yeah. That's really cool. So tell me about, I think it's interesting and it very much lines up with my company culture, but this idea of not telling people what to read 
and how you kind of think about that philosophically as opposed to going, hey, here's sort of an approved curated list of books, etc. But it sounds like you leave it pretty wide open. And I think that's not unintentional. There's a thought process behind that. I'd love to hear the philosophy. Well, attack it from a couple of different angles. One is which this works better. Like we tried to get people to read the way that is traditionally thought of, and it just didn't work. And it actually created resentment because when you hand out 20 books, right. Third of the people read it because they're going to do whatever you say. Right. A third don't because they're not going to do whatever you say. And a third (laughs) of them skim it and everyone gets mad at everybody because everyone's kind of cheating a little bit or brown nosing or whatever you want to call it. And so anyway, it just worked better. Number two Mm. is that, I love talking about what I read. I could start talking now about the last three or four books and I can talk and talk. It's interesting, but what you would find more interesting is if I ask you what you read. Right. Like you would be actually more interested in telling me what you read than yeah. me telling you what I read. That's a universal truth. Mm-hmm. And so this tool just gives people the ability to tell the people around them about what they read and hear mm-hmm. less about the droning on about what you read. And then thirdly is that Think about the first few books you read that made a difference in your life that you chose to read and yeah. changed the course of your life. And ultimately, as a leader in my company, we have you know, 225 people of all different socioeconomic backgrounds. Sure. The first few books we can get someone to read and then you see that change and it reminds you of your change, it makes it all worth it. And so it just goes back. It works for those who just start reading. It works for those that read a lot because it gives them a place to show the world what they're reading. Right. It's the most efficient and economical way we've done to grow our people. And we compare it to sending someone to a conference and the money we spend on flights and hotels and their time away and the bar tab and all the things they forget when they come back. And instead of $2,700 or what used to be, it's probably $4,700 now. It's $100 to read good to great. Right. Yeah. I mean, what a difference that makes. And in a remote world, which is kind of more or less where we're headed or where we've landed, um, not exclusively, but certainly a far more remote than it was, the idea of sending people to a conference. And I mean, we still do it, but I mean, it, there are effective ways to learn that don't involve that plane ticket and that hotel stay and all of that stuff as well. It's all in, like, I think there's a balance. Like, we're going to find a balance in the workplace. We're going to find a balance with growth and learning. We're going to find a balance in how we incentivize our people to grow and do things. And so it's just part of that. I'm not saying never go to a conference. I'm not saying that you should only read and not interact with other people. But I'll take six books a year in a nice conference. The other truth, Jay Jordan, is that, like, I go six books a year and you go, well, you know, I read 12 books a year and other people read 18 books a year. Most of our teams aren't reading two books a year. Right. Like it's just not happening. And so you're the Super Bowl. You are the world's greatest company. If your company is averaging individually, if they're averaging a book a quarter, you're the world champion. Right. Like no one's doing that. And so everyone thinks they are. Right. We read a book a quarter. You're not reading a book a quarter no. company wide. Instead of telling people what to read, let them choose, let them develop the habit, recognize and reward them. We're just, by the way, we're not the content. Yeah. We're just an application. Right. You got to buy into this sort of world of abundance thinking to get along with it. If you're thinking, hey, my people, how would I know they actually read the book? Uh huh. You probably have other problems. Is someone going to take advantage? Absolutely. Absolutely. But, of course they but are. the vast majority, right. guidelines for the many, forget the rules for the few, yeah. and just move people forward. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of that remote workplace and all of that, it, companies have tried 
the big brother thing and let me look over your shoulder and take screenshots of your workstation and all this. It's like, that doesn't work. That type of like negative motivation, that is not going to keep people, is not going to make them excited to work for you. So I agree. It's very much there's a trust and a culture you need to build around yeah. doing the right things and having integrity in that over the course of time that picks up speed and that becomes more intrinsic and more native to each company. And more fun for the entrepreneur or the manager or the leader. It's way right. more fun to lead from a feeling of abundance and trust than right. it is from deceit and challenge. It's yes. just more fun. And for 10 years, I ran my company like a, a tyrant boss would, like I learned from the best and I poured all that and it wasn't fun at all. Right. It became fun the second half of my journey mm. when I started to learn from the true legends in the field. Yeah, I love that. I'm curious about the motivation. So you talked about building a habit. And so obviously when the habit is formed, the habit is formed. But getting from day one to the habit formation, I'm curious just any data or just any observations that you've made about organizations. Is it the recognition that's more powerful? Is it the rewards? Is it one and then the other chronologically? Just yeah. curious how that shakes out. Great question. Number one, Culture reflects leadership. What leadership does, not what they say, but what leadership does, typically the company will follow. And so you, the leaders aren't participating if they're not showing you their bookshelf, if they're not checking in on the program, if they're not recognizing you personally when they see the notifications of books read. You know, that's a huge part of it. Recognition in front of your peers. Some people, for a lot of people, it's one thing what you think of your team. It's another thing what their peers think of each other. And so making sure their peers know what's going on. And then re the reward is nice. The reward is actually the least important thing, but it's also an important piece of the puzzles because that we had to learn the quickness of that reward, how soon we get that reward to them after finishing the book, get them started on the next book. Like we got to get that thing going. It's never punishment not to read. It's never a punishment to miss a quarter or two with your reading schedule, but it's always rewarded and recognition when you do. The number one thing we can do is cheer for our team, but equally important, get the team cheering for each other. Like that's what we found. When we cheered for people, it was good, but when they cheered for each other, wow. Like it just drove it all forward. And I imagine that's where those Slack and Teams integrations and all yeah. of that really sings, right? It is in that kind of peer-to-peer -peer encouragement and cheerleading. And you grab that information, you throw it into one of your meeting, everyone has meeting rhythms and whether it's, you know, weekly or monthly or whatever the scale and size. And so you don't make them like recite the report or read a page out of the book. You just, Hey, Sally, I saw you read good to great read. You're our 13th person in our company to read that book. According to better book club, keep rocking forward. Done. Done. Yeah, exactly. You don't need to heap a bunch of pressure on. Yeah. That's awesome. Curious if you would dig into, I know that you have written a book called Worth Doing Wrong. If you can't see the video, which most- I've got it right here, look. Oh, look at that. He happens to have a copy on his desk. Most folks listening in can't see you and your shirt and in your book. But I love to hear because this book is all about building and, and I think sustaining culture. I was not aware of it until recently, so I have not gotten a chance to read it. But I'd love if you would talk about why you wrote it what it's about. And then I have a follow-up question for you, but I'll let you start there. Yeah. So my ad agency, again, we worked with, we were in Nashville, Tennessee. We are an ad agency that exclusively served injury lawyers. And I know that people can't see me and I can't see them, but I just saw all their faces cringe a little bit. <laughs> and so imagine 
building an agency and we were like, you know, the agency was about 70 people, right. you know, we're doing 50, $60 million a year. We're promoting personal injury brands. Now there's an old saying, if McDonald's can recruit people, so can you, well, it maybe if you're advertising for personal injury lawyers, it's a little harder than McDonald's. So we had to create a culture that was remarkable, you know, worth remarking about way over and above what we did. I had to have great people and the culture was our, our path to get there. I didn't realize that for a long time, but once I did, we started setting in pieces of our organization to just be culture-based, to grow people, number one, and all the programs that made that happen. And once we became known as a place to grow from, once we became that place that if you work there, you can work anywhere, then that's you know, our success just started to multiply. Worth Doing Wrong is a book about all the things we did really poorly and then turned into it with something we did really, really well. Yeah. And it takes you through program after program. It takes you through our orientation checklist, how we onboarded people. It takes you through our Better Book Club and how it all came to be. It takes you our monthly morale survey and how we ask our people what can make this a better workplace every month. And we're transparent about the scores. It takes you through our camel culture concepts and what made us unique and great, how we rewarded tenure, how we supported families. And just walks you through. Basically, just so you know, it's all R&D. It's all ripped off and duplicated. It's all the things that we learned over the years yeah. and just put into place. Yeah. And so, you know, a client told me one time, hey, you know, the difference in me and you is that I know about all this stuff, but you actually implement it. And so this book takes you through how we did it and more importantly, how you can do it. Uh, that's awesome. I'm going to go back to a couple of things. First, I wanted to ask this just because it's such a relevant topic. I was just interviewing a guy who his entire company is about helping you recruit remotely, recruit around the world. I mean, they're serving like 170 countries and it's about getting engineers in from Brazil to your Silicon Valley company and all this stuff. Very different than what I do, but also very, very interesting in terms of where things are headed. If I read right, your book came out in like 2016. Is that right? That's right. So if you were to write a follow-up to your book, what would you change or add or what kind of adjustments would you make based on all that's taken place over the last six years since that was released? Yeah. On one hand, nothing. Like how we build checklists for programs, how we put champions in place to run those programs, how we give them permission to get to fail. Like we give ourselves permission to fail, but we don't give our people enough permission to fail. So, so much of that stuff is still just basic blocking and tackling, you know, but the fact that we had, I like to say, if you can't give a tour, you might not have a culture. But what's a tour now? Like we used to have an actual tour through our building. We had stations of the camel and you would stop and you would explain this. Well, now let's do that virtually now. And what does that look like? And how do we create assets that service in a digital world uh, way better than they do in a, in a physical world? And so we're sort of getting towards that metaverse thing. How meeting rhythms face-to-face -face are very different than on Zoom but we have to be creative in that. So how do we create creative Zoom meetings? How do we learn as much about people in their personal life through Zoom as we might face-to-face? -face? And so all these little adaptations that I've seen great friends of mine make in their business to this concept, but it all rolls back to every program you have needs a champion, which is not you. And it's hopefully not someone on your leadership team. The further we can push the champion role down into the organization, the more likely it is to be effective and for those champions to them support each other. Number two, it needs a checklist, an actual document, electronic or otherwise, hopefully, that can be adapted as the champion learns and grows the program. 
that champion needs permission to fail. And then there needs to be a place to house all these programs. We called ours camel culture. Everything we did within our company fit in our camel culture. So what's the name of your culture? Do you have a mascot of sort that you can celebrate? And then can you take every program you do and put it in the program, put it in the overall umbrella so that you don't wake up three years from now and say, I thought we used to do this. And well, now you get to go, well, does it have a champion? Does it have a checklist? Is it in our culture? Are we measuring the success of it through KPIs and, and surveys? Do we understand what's going like? So all that sort of how to set up the program for sustainability and growth is very different from I came back from my conference or I read a book and this is what I want to do and check back on it in three months. I'm taking notes over here. If you hear my <laughs> Sharpie going in the microphone, I'm taking good notes. I love that. I think the thing that I've never thought of is that number four is like, how does it all tie together? What do you call it? Like the overarching sort of programmatic side of your culture? Does it yes. have a name? Does it have a mascot? Does it have a a really simplistic way to just reference it, talk about it? Camel culture, like that's super helpful, very palatable, I think, for any level of the organization to, you know, to have something to reference like that. I'm curious... What I normally ask at this point in the interview is, how did you go from a founder-only type of company where there was no culture to creating a culture? What's interesting about your journey, at least a part of it that you shared, is that it seems like you didn't really wise up right away to the importance of culture. So you had to do something a little different. You grew, and then you had to go, okay, we need to totally transform the way that we treat our people, how we think about culture, its importance champions, all of this stuff. So you had to kind of, I don't, I don't want to put this too strongly, but like eat a little humble pie, right? And kind of go, okay, we need to make a change here. How did you go about doing that? What was the response? And like, what was the first step? Was it to get on a company meeting and just go, hey, I messed up? How did you even, not to bring up uh, painful moments of your life, but I'd love to hear how you did that. Well, look, some of the most regrettable moments of my business life or how I behaved in the early years of my business, you know, the, the, how I treated people, what I thought was important. But again, we work someplace. We are trained by That's people right. who don't know what they're doing. We become people <laughs> who don't know what we're doing. We have to find the right mentors and leaders. Yeah. And then fast forward to own the business was painful. Like I felt trapped. I felt like I, I was the only person to get things done. I, I was that person. No one wants to become. And I was at a we're decent size. We we're having a conference. We had our clients in town. You may know John DeJulius from Cleveland, customer service guru. He was in town. We hit him as a speaker. He was talking to our clients about how to create great customer service for their law firms. And something he said about a culture of customer service, he said, the first time I recognizably heard these words, culture reflects leadership. And I was only half paying attention at the time, but it hit me so hard as I was sitting there thinking about the culture that I had. And I realized it was my fault. Like in that moment, like it wasn't my clients, it wasn't my people, it wasn't the competition, it wasn't the economy, it was me. And it's true if every company has the culture they deserve. You know this, you preach this. Culture reflects leadership. And if leadership can't change, neither can the culture. And so that was the aha moment. And then it became, as Susan Scott likes to say in her book, gradually and then all of a sudden. It became one thing at a time. Every program needs a lot of things to be successful. 
It also needs time. Every program needs nine months to be successful, not nine days, not nine weeks. But you can't throw it out there and then run back and get it and check it. Like, give your champion nine months to put a program in place. Give the program a chance to grow roots and take shape. It doesn't mean that every program it will work, but it means that it had a chance. And so instead of the program of the month, if you can get four programs a year into your company yeah. and three actually stick, right. world class. Yeah. World class. Right. Yeah. Can't do it all at once. That's awesome. I really appreciate you sharing that. I know that was not like a softball question by any means. And I think I just really appreciate the humility to recognize it's me. <laughs> I'm the problem. Like that. I just think we get in a position of authority and there's not a lot of people around us to challenge us. There's not a lot of people around us to go, hey, here's some things that you're not doing so well, right? And I know a bunch of our listeners are sitting here going, man, I wish I could tell my CEO <laughs> this is your fault, you know? Yeah. So that, it takes a lot of courage. But Jordan, we're all leaders of someone. And so yeah. whether, you know, before we start going to tell someone else it's them, we might want to look at who's following us and realize we all are a leader of somebody. It may just be our dog, but we have control. And so be the leader you expect from others and allow others the chance to discover that themselves. It's the most painful thing I communicate to entrepreneurs is that they're the problem. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> that is not easy to hear. Yeah. That's really, really cool. You know, Arnie, we've just flown through our time here today. I know, I know. And I really appreciate you taking the time. I'd love to keep up, hear how this thing is going in this second or third chapter of your career. Yeah. It's super, super cool. And it's so obvious. That's why I, I love it. There's some things that people explain their business and I'm like, I'm gonna need 30 more minutes just to understand what you do. Yeah. But this is like 30 seconds and I'm like, duh, why hasn't someone done this already? You know, type of thing. So I'd imagine it's going quite well. Well, Better Book Club is, if we reach our goals, we will not only change the many people that we affect, but the companies how they manage better people make better companies it just does and so even if it's a 10 percent better in this case it's 50 percent better at least but anything we can do to get more books and brains to our team members who we're counting on who, who are managing the shop when we're not there who are, who are taking care of things that we don't even want to begin to deal with more books and brains means better people means better companies better book club is already helping hundreds of companies globally we'd love to see this thing continue to shine and help millions that's awesome. Well, I hope you do. If you guys want to chat with Arnie, reach out to him on LinkedIn. I see that he's he's pretty active on there. So if you've got a question, that's probably a good place to direct it. And just thank you, everybody, for listening and for coming out week after week to check out Bragworthy Culture. It's just It's such a fun thing in my life to learn from folks like Arnie, and I hope that you guys are learning as well. And Arnie, thank you once again for being here. Jordan, thanks for having me, man. I love talking to you. All right. We'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Fringe, the number one employee lifestyle and fringe benefits platform. With Fringe, you can empower employees with lifestyle benefits that can be personalized to reduce stress, give back time, and spark joy. Fringe, benefits for life. Contact us and find out more at fringe.us.